Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, sometimes there's not anything you can do to change it. You're just stuck. Many times in our messages, we focus on the situations uh, where we can take some action steps and make a difference in those situations and how to get unstuck. Uh, But whether it's that might be a temptation or a relationship or many of life's situations, and there's a lot of value there. We'll continue to do that, of course. But sometimes uh, you're just in a spot where you've done everything you can do. You've done a lot of things right. And there's a situation that's out of your control. You didn't choose it. It's not what you sowed into it, not into your job, into your schedule, into your health. You can't get out of it. You're stuck. What do you do then? And I believe that our response to those situations in life becomes some of the biggest decisions of our life. So today we begin a four-week series on the benefits of being stuck. Let me tell you what else is going on here uh, as we're at the top of the year. Uh, Tomorrow, or today rather, is day one of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And this is our way to dedicate the first year or the first of the year to God. We give back to him the first part of our week. That's what you're doing here, here at church, dedicating your week to God. We give back the first part of our finances, the first of our day. This is our way of giving him the first of the year. Jesus said, if we seek his kingdom first, all else will be taken care of. Uh, Last week at the beginning of the sermon, I gave a quick mini message on fasting. Now we've talked a lot about prayer in our 40 Days of Prayer Spiritual Growth Campaign. Last week I gave a brief message on fasting at the beginning of the sermon. If you missed that, you can go back and catch that and catch up. Also, I give more detail on the reasons for prayer and fasting in day one of the daily detox devotionals that we're offering on our podcast channels and on the app. We're not doing 6 a.m. services this year, so the podcast is just uh, something for you, brief thing for you to plug into every day to keep you going and and spark uh, your prayer life and and these days for you each day. Um, John's gonna share more in the announcements of some of the more resources and some of the things that'll help you out in this 21-day journey. Then after that, because we delay the start of this until after 21 days of prayer, then we begin the small group semester. And if you're new, this gathering is really a collection of smaller groups that come together for large group worship Uh, But many of these groups don't meet every week, all year. We meet in semesters, meaning we take a little break and then we start again. And that gives us the opportunity to break for some holidays and then begin fresh, maybe with some new people or a new study or a new emphasis. And we're getting ready to launch the uh, winter, spring small group semester. And small group signups will officially begin the 23rd. We'll have a preview of the lists out in a couple of weeks. And our vision is to see everyone from the core of our church to people in our community, our ever-growing community connected to a small group. We believe you find freedom when you cultivate godly relationships. And in our small groups, we encourage one another, we support one another, share scripture together, pray for one another. We take next steps in our spiritual growth. 
Many people at Rockbrook would tell you uh, that you'll never experience all Rockbrook has to offer unless you are in a small group. So uh, we'll just lead you through this. Through the month, we're uh, ramping up to start uh, the semester at the end of the month. That may be something to pray about for the 21 days that God would lead you to a great group and a great group of people. Uh, Small group leaders, uh, I wanna thank you. First of all, just thank you Uh, for opening up your spaces or finding spaces for people to gather, getting creative, opening your lives up to others uh, so that they can see, I mean, you don't have to be perfect. We're not perfect. We're just, uh, we can be accepted as we are and we can grow from there. And helping the people in your groups grow in their faith and caring for one another, uh, you along with the rest of the dream team make it all happen. Secondly, small group leaders, let us know what your plan is for this semester by registering. Pastor Tom sent out an email yesterday you can respond to. If you could register, that'll help our small group admin team get groups updated and ready for an effective sign up. We had over 90 groups meet last semester over the fall semester. I'd love to continue that momentum in 2021 because we really need those close relationships, godly relationships in our life right now. I believe now more than, more than any other time, more than ever before. Now some of those groups met in spaces where they could spread out, some over video calls, some met with a mixture of, of both, or uh, they got creative. And I'm relying on the group and your leaders to uh, lead your group through that however you choose uh, to meet and however creative uh, you need to be for the fall semester and of course our small group team can help you out with that if you need some ideas. But just as your pastor, I want you connected in some way during these days. If you're not sure what to study this semester in our weekend services, we're gonna take February and March and focus on relationships. It's been a couple years since we did a relationship series. This will be all kinds of relationships in our lives, marriage, work, parenting, friendships. I'm getting excited about it. I believe God has a fresh Fresh word for you on relationships this year. Uh, It's timeless, it's biblical, uh, but it's gonna powerfully impact our relationships. So if you want to do as a group the Talk It Over notes with that, you can do that and go deeper. Uh, If you wanna pick a, a series that might mirror that well, or maybe now that you know that I'm going in that direction. You have a different direction uh, to go to kind of supplement it. I just wanted you to know where I was headed. Okay, all right. Game on, everybody. New year. Say new year. New year. Thank you. Here we go. Sometimes, though, this t- today's message is called losing control. Do you ever feel like you're losing control? Losing control. The pressures in life uh, that we don't have anything to do with It's the pressure from a circumstance that's out of our control, like things you didn't choose, they're now part of your life, they're now part of your story that you would never have chosen because work is hard. Friendships and family and relationships are tough. Being healthy is difficult. School is a strain. Providing for your family can be worrisome. And if you remove all those things from the equation, then you're left with, the pressures of loneliness or regret or, or hopelessness. And it's much like this guitar over here. This guitar is a beautiful instrument, but I want you to know it's under a strain. It's under a stress. In fact, if you took the guitar 
and just took it out of stress, like let the strings do what they want, they would coil up or they would just flop there and now there's no benefit to that guitar. The guitar sounds amazing, but only when you put it under a certain amount of stress. If it were stress-free, it would be worthless. If the strings were not stuck, there'd be no benefit, but now that they're stuck, there is a benefit, there's an opportunity. And my hope is that this series will help us see what we can focus on and what the benefits are to losing a little bit of control. And I wanna take us to a place in scripture in the New Testament, it's after Jesus has come, after he's died, he's resurrected, he's ascended into heaven, and James, his brother, is writing to believers. And there are many of them now, but they're scattered because they're under persecution. And people were being killed for their faith. They were dying every day. You could lose your life for being a follower of Jesus. They are in a crisis. And they're facing many more crises beyond that. James, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, writes this short letter to encourage them. And he gives them some attitudes and some direction for tough times. And this is what he says to believers who are in a crisis. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. Now this word here, trials, later he'll talk about temptations. Later he'll talk about uh, the things that we say, the things that we do. He's talking about here a trial that you face uh, that you didn't, you didn't make that choice, but whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know, so you know, what do you know? When you know certain things, you're going to have a lot better handle on the problems, the trials, the crisis of whatever you're going through. Don't miss this today. Your success in handling trials and troubles is determined by what you know, what you realize and what you remember. And the clearer your perspective is, the more stable and strong you will be when the heat is on. Because the perspective, what you know feeds your faith and faith feeds your confidence. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I love it. James does not waste a word. James' letter is short, not because he doesn't have a lot to say, but because he makes it count. He makes every sentence count. And I see just from these few verses right here uh, a, a lot. I see four truths about trials and I see three purposes for trials. You might write these down. First thing I see is trials are inevitable. He says when you face trials of many kinds, not if, but when. You will have trouble. Jesus said we will have tribulation. Peter said don't be surprised when trouble comes into your life. No one's insulated, no one's isolated. Problems are inevitable. And problems are not an elective course in life. They're a required course, they're gen ed. You can't opt out to graduate in life. You've gotta go through trials and everyone faces trials. And some trials that you go through, everyone in your life knows about them. But do you know what I've found? just from my own life experience and from pastoring, is people's deepest trials 
Only a few people in your life know about them. Now, several might have some general understanding, but only a few people know the deepest pains and trials in your life. The things that you have to overcome, the things that you are facing. I found that people can be in a friendship or relationship for years and go, I had no idea that they were overcoming that. I had no idea that they were going through that. Everyone is facing troubles and trials that you might not even have any clue about. And knowing that helps us be gracious with others and it helps them to not be so devastating when they come into our life. They're inevitable. Number two, trials are unpredictable. They catch us by surprise. They don't warn you in advance. They happen whenever, it says whenever you face trials of many kinds. Problems never come at a good time. You know, we rarely have technical issues during sound check. (laughs) They happen during the service. I've never had a flat tire as I'm on my way home, as I'm getting into my garage. I always have flat tires when I'm on my way to go somewhere, not when I'm leaving there. You know, the baby spits up on the suit when you're headed to a funeral. That's when stuff happens. And Friend, your, your child is not gonna find a convenient time to rebel. Work isn't gonna wait until everything's perfect for you to dump a big workload on you. And the health crisis isn't gonna come at just the right time in life. What makes a trial a trial, what makes a problem a problem is that it catches us off guard. We're unprepared. We've got too much going on to handle it. It's inconvenient. You don't get to schedule your troubles. You don't get to sit down and say 2021 would be a great time to face this problem. You don't know the problems that are coming. You don't get to say Tuesday's a great time to work on this trial. No, you can't anticipate it, you can't predict it. Actually the word here, the original word, is to, means to fall into unexpectedly. And trials are inevitable, they're unpredictable. Number three, we see trials are variable. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, they're not all alike. You know this from experience. They come in all shapes and sizes. They come in more than 31 flavors. The original word here means multicolored. A gardener once told me that there are 415 varieties of weeds in North America. He said, all of them are in my garden. But there are even more varieties of weeds that we experience in life. They, vi- they vary in intensity, how painful they are. They vary in frequency, how often. They vary in duration, how long they last. But then James turns the corner and we start to get some hope. And this is the good news, and that is trials are purposeful. They're purposeful. There is a purpose behind your problem. He says, you know that the testing of your faith produces, trials are purposeful or they're productive. You can't figure them all out, but they are productive. You're not gonna always know why they happen. I have found that knowing why it happens isn't all that productive anyway. But stress and suffering can accomplish something good. Now, if you don't know that, it doesn't mean that much. If you don't remember it, it doesn't mean that much. 
But this is why he says we can consider them pure joy. Don't, don't misunderstand here. He's not saying that they're purposeful and that you just deny reality, that you consider them pure joy. He's not saying that you pretend there's no problem. He's not saying that you don't grieve, that you just put on a plastic smile, that you live in denial of problems. He's not saying to become a martyr with a victim mentality and go out searching for trials and, and bring on trials in your life. No, he, we're not more spiritual the more we suffer. We don't rejoice for the trial. He's saying we can rejoice though in the trial, during the trial, because of what we know is true. We know that God sees and cares what we're going through. We know that we're not alone. We know that God will give us strength. A question I like to ask married couples when they celebrate a big anniversary, I started asking this when Lauren and I were engaged and people started uh, giving us advice and you get a lot of bad advice when you're engaged. People just, they feel free to tell you whatever and, uh, and, they, and they'll say, oh man, that first year, you'll love that first year or uh, some would say that first week is really good, that's really great. And so uh, I started asking people, especially if they're celebrating a big anniversary, 30th anniversary, would you trade what you have now for what you had that first year? Would you trade what you have now for what you had on your wedding day? And almost all of them say, no way, no. Because even though they started out with, what they started out with was true and it was real, what they have now is so much richer. They understand that what they've worked for is amazing. And while, of course, they wouldn't go back and choose some of the trials, and if they could change history, they would take some things out of the equation, but they wouldn't trade the faith that they have, the relationship that they have, the things that they have worked for, for what they had then. And the reality of a lasting marriage is not unlike the reality of our faith life that we, what we start out with in faith is not what we end up with in the end. We grow. And God uses the difficulties and he uses the horrible choices we made and the things that were done to us and all the trials and all the problems to develop something in our life that, yes, we wish it would never have happened, but we wouldn't trade the faith we have now for the faith we had then. And God uses those things to accomplish a purpose in our life. How in the world does he do that? Well, that's verses three and four where James gives us uh, the three purposes, the benefits of the trial, and that is trials test my faith. The only way a muscle grows is it has to be stretched. You put pressure on it. The only way a muscle grows your character is you have to have your character tested. There has to be some weight on it. And the word testing actually refers to the refining of metals. To refine a metal, you burn off the impurity. You take gold or silver, you heat it to an extreme until it melts and it burns off all the impurities. You're left with pure gold, pure silver, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith, the heat may be on in your life, but here's the second purpose or benefit and that is trials develop my perseverance. The testing of your faith, I'm not making these up, this is straight out of scripture. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. I love the old English word here, which is steadfastness, staying power. 
the ability to handle pressure, the ability to keep hanging on when the heat is on. How do you learn to handle pressure? Only by experiencing it. And this quality is in short supply in our culture. Most people give up too soon. They give up on a relationship too soon, they give up on a job too soon, a ministry opportunity too soon, a budget too soon, a health plan, a church, a project, a class, a goal, and God wants you to have the kind of faith, the kind of confidence that comes from persevering. There's a third thing that trials do, and that is trials mature my character. They test my faith, they develop perseverance, they mature my character. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'd love to have these things. And this is what happens when you respond to trials correctly. I heard about a research study uh, done in Russia years ago, it's very famous now, on the effect of different living conditions on the lifespan of different animals. And the discovery was that animals placed in a comfortable, easy living condition, they became weaker, more susceptible to problems, and they died sooner than those who are allowed to experience the normal hardships of life. And the same is true with our faith. The difference is, friend, trials are not automatically going to do this. Trials do not automatically help you out and produce good in your life. For a lot of people, they're worse off from them. They're bitter, they're not better. And faith is what makes the difference. It's what you choose to rely on during your trouble. So how does God want us to respond? How can we respond in a way that develops these wonderful things in our life. And I started out with 28 points on how to respond. And then I narrowed it down to 16 and thought those were really good. And then I put four, I had four on the outline and was ready to send that to the printer and thought, what if I could just give you the one thing that you'll remember, the most important thing? What would it be? And I believe that it's this. This is one of the major common denominators that I have learned from people who have gone through more pain than I could ever imagine. This is what I've learned from great leaders around me. This is what I've learned from my counselor. This is what I've learned in Celebrate Recovery. This is what I've learned from mentors and authors. And from when I've responded well in trials myself and not responded well. To respond to trials, I must accept the things I cannot change and change the things I can. In life, there are going to be certain things you cannot change. And there will be some things you can. But for whatever reason, my tendency and your tendency and human nature is to put the majority of our focus and our emphasis on what we cannot change. I cannot, I cannot control the trials that happen in my life when they happen to other people, 
that are around me in their life. I cannot control my kids. I cannot control my spouse. I cannot control my parents. I cannot control my coworkers. I cannot control builders, contractors. I cannot control elections. I cannot control the weather and I cannot control the outcome of Chiefs games. Now, some people, there are some people who can control some of those things. I am not he. And with several of those things, when I stop controlling them, then I can enjoy them. What can I control? I can control my attitude, who I worship, my budget, what I eat, the type of parenting style I use, the parent I am, the husband I am. I can have self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is not other people control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And when we try to control others and other things, we stifle the Spirit's work in our life, which gives us the fruit of self-control. This is faith. Faith believes God is in control. I've got an image I just want you to hang on to this week. Uh, if you'd be willing to play along here, uh, what, I, what I'd love for you to do is wherever you are, if it's on you, is I want you to pull out your wallet and just hang on to it in your hand. If you're watching online at home, go grab your wallet and just put it in your hand, hold it in your hand. Ladies, don't go digging in your purse, we'll be here all day. Um, but if you have a wallet, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> But if you're going, I knew it, come to church, and they have you pull out your wallet, like, now trade it with someone else and give like you've never given before. No, that's not what this is. I don't want you to have the image, this is not the image of money, okay? I want you to get the image of something small and valuable. If you don't have your wallet, grab your keys, or maybe you've got your phone, and just play along, just hold it in your hand, okay? But for many of us, our wallet has our essentials in it, and that's what I want you to get. Your wallet is valuable. It is small, but it is valuable. Do you take your wallet with you most places? Yes or no, do you take it with you most places? Here's the deal. A lot of people think faith, for it to be powerful, for it to work, that has to be big. Like I've gotta have a Billy Graham faith, a Mother Teresa faith. So the image that comes to a lot, a lot of our minds when we think of faith, is not small and valuable like a wallet, but what comes to our mind is a big bag. Big bag faith. And we think the type of faith we've got to get or grow into is something large, something big. To live the type of God, the life God wants you to live, you think you've gotta walk away with this. But the problem is you never leave the house with this. Almost never. You hide this in your house and you pull it out on special occasions. And you only get to it when you really need to. And the problem in our life is we don't leave home with our faith and bring it into each situation. Our faith doesn't enter into the other domains of our life. The marketplace and school and relationship and sports and whatever it may be. And I think one of the reasons is because we think we can leave faith home and control those things. That I don't have to bring faith into it because 
I can control it. But faith is believing God is in control. And I want you to see that you can have a, what Jesus calls a mustard seed faith. God would much rather you take a little bit of faith with you everywhere you go than have a big bag faith you only leave or you only take with you on special occasions. And a lot of the spiritual conversations I get into really boil down to what am I trying to control? And where am I saying, where am I willing to say, I'm not worthy, I cannot control that. God is in control. And somewhere along the line you might say, well Ryland, how do I get more faith? And faith does have to be developed, but the kind of faith that we're trying to build here is not a big bag faith. I'm not trying to get you to grow it in size as much I'm trying to get you to develop it into something that you know how to apply to each situation, that you know how to take into every area of your life. Through accepting the things I cannot change and changing the things I can. But what we need is the wisdom to really truly know the difference. James 1, five through eight. So this is his very next thought. This is just continuing on in these verses. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doesn't take their faith with them into the problem, the one who, doesn't, who leaves their faith at home and doesn't take their faith with them into the situation is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And some of us have no idea how much doubt is affecting our lives. And I'm just gonna leave that there because this week on the daily podcast, the 21 day podcast, but I'll give you this today, a helpful tool I have found to help me with these distinctions, to focus on the things uh, that I can focus on, to letting go of other things, accepting what I cannot change, changing what I can, is the serenity prayer. The serenity prayer. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the term serenity. Many people think it's a state of perfect calm, uh, that it's a place of perfect circumstances, uh, that, friend, that's not serenity, that's not peace, that's vacation. And uh, I hope you get a vacation but God wants us to think about it differently. The kind of serenity he wants to give uh, is not a vacation type of serenity. It's a serenity that you can have in the biggest mess and the biggest disappointment. And he can give serenity in the midst of whatever you're going through. So some of us, we define peace or serenity as an absence. Like it's the absence of noise, now there's peace. Or there's the absence of a struggle or trial, now there's peace, now there's serenity. That's not peace, that's not serenity. Serenity is a presence. It's, it's God's presence in the midst of whatever you're going through. 
And many people, they want big bag peace. They want big bag serenity. If let me just grab my stuff and go. And maybe I'll find some peace. It's very tempting to think of God's serenity being in conjunction with my circumstances. But this prayer written decades ago teaches us differently. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. God, give, apply something into my life, add something into my life, the serenity to understand the things that I cannot change. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. The Bible says that in Romans chapter five. Taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. I, I don't like it, but if I try to control it, it just overcomes me. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life. And by the way, uh, that's the best we can get on earth. Earth is not our home. Earth is not heaven. But the promise is I can be supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. What a great promise. And it is, it is, a, it is a promise. Next week, we're gonna look at the promises we can cling to for hope when we are stuck. But here's one now, and this is just James finishing up this thought. He's about to turn the corner and start talking about temptations. But he just wraps up this thought on trials with this statement, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Why are we doing this series? Uh, Because I want you to get this promise. I want you to get that reward. And the truth is trials are a part of life. You're gonna feel stuck whether you respond well or not, whether you get the reward or don't. You're gonna have problems. May as well trust God may as well turn to him. Will you turn to God for help? Don't waste your sorrow. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your trial. And if you'll turn to him, he's promised you'll receive a crown of life. And so we're just gonna finish. We're gonna read this out loud together, this serenity prayer. If you're watching at home, that's great. Uh, Just read it out loud. Read it out loud with us here today. Just if you're watching with a group, all of you read it out loud together. If you're listening to this later, um, maybe just even pull over right now and read this prayer with us. Let's do this together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will 
so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth. Thank you.